My name is Nate, and uh, I'm the lead pastor here at Hope Church. I love, love, love what God has asked me to do, and the opportunity to speak to you, I don't take it lightly, so today we're going to make it count with every moment. We're in week three of our series called Lucha. Anybody been enjoying the Lucha series so far? Lucha, Lucha, Lucha. If you don't know what Lucha means, it means wrestler. And uh, los luchadores, los, los, las luchadoras are the wrestlers, the wrestlers in Spanish. And today we're in our third week. We're calling this one Shattering Strongholds. Turn to your neighbor and say, Shattering Strongholds. Shattering Strongholds. We've been in a, a wrestling match. It's been a tussle and a rustle and a wrestle. And we are in uh, Ephesians 6, chapter 12, or verse 12. It says, for we do not wrestle. It's all about the wrestle. We do not wrestle. Everybody say, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Another way to say that is people. People are never the problem. It's not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness. Where are they found, everybody? In heavenly places. So we're in a wrestle. The wrestle for our destinies. The wrestle for our lives. The wrestle for our babies and their future. The wrestle of eternity. And it's not happening here on earth. It's happening in the heavenly places. Some translations say in higher places. There is a wrestle that is happening all around us. Not against people. Not against flesh and blood. But against powers and principalities of the air. Isn't that wild? And uh, you might be new to this whole experience experience and this whole kind of um, Jesus thing and church thing. And I'm telling you, we're not here to scare you. We're not here to talk about something that makes you no earthly good. We're actually here to talk to you about something that affects your life here on earth. Jesus said, every day I want you to pray a practical prayer. Every day, pray this prayer. You might have heard it growing up and maybe in Catholic school or maybe in other places. You probably know it well. It's the daily prayer. He says, our Father who's in heaven, Awesome is your name, right? Holy is your name. We can make it spiritual. Our Father who art in heaven, right? Who's art, right? Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But it's awesome is your name, right? A cut above is your name. Better than any other name. Your kingdom come. Now this is crazy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done right here on our planet, the planet earth, as it is in heaven. So we're trying to relate a heavenly reality to you right here on earth. Because whether you realize it or not, there is heavenly interaction with earth all the time. And we want to open up our eyes to see in a very practical way that his kingdom can come and his will can be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And we talked about this in week one and week two. You know, Jesus didn't ask us to pray this prayer every day for no reason. He didn't say pray this prayer so you're frustrated with God for the rest of your life. He didn't say pray this prayer like a dangling carrot that someday you're going to die and spend your rest of your existence in eternity with me. No. He said, I want you to pray this prayer because it helps you on earth and bring heaven, everybody say heaven, to earth. And so we're trying to get us to wrap our heads around the wrestle that goes on over your life pretty much on the daily, every single day, to be wise to the fact there is, a, there is an assignment against your assignment. I don't know about you, but I believe I have a purpose. I believe I have a destiny. I believe that God put me on the planet for a reason, that I'm sucking air for a purpose that is greater than just my family and me and my stuff and my life being wonderful. I have a purpose to influence people, to serve people, to bring value to people. And I am excited about that purpose. And I want you to know, you have a purpose. God has a plan. He says, I know the plans I have for your life. Plans to bless you 
not to hold you back. Plans to make you a, give you a future and a hope, some joyful anticipation, looking to the best days that are still ahead. He said, I got a plan for you, and it's for good, not evil. It's to give you a future and a hope. And I'm telling you, there's an assignment against that assignment. And I want you to know there are things working against you, and you can't see them. There are. There are invisible forces working against you. But I also want you to know, we talk way too much about the demonic. We talk way too much about the dark. Because um, there are those working for you as well. There are an angelic heavenly host working on your behalf. Working the word that you speak. Working the faith that you have. And our eyes need to be opened up every once in a while, like Elisha. God had to show Elisha. There are more fighting for you, people of hope, than there are fighting against you. There are more that are on your side than there are against you. One-third of heaven was dismissed. One-third of heaven fell. But the two-thirds is bigger than one-third. I want to tell you, there are more fighting against you or with you than there are against you. And I want to tell you, whatever you feel surrounded by, emotionally surrounded and, and caving in on you, and whatever you feel surrounded by in a battle, there's something bigger surrounding you. There is an angelic force that is lifting you. That you might not even, Psalms 103, not even dash your foot against a stone because they have you in their hands. I'm telling you, God is working more for you than, he, than anything that's coming against you. I want to tell you something else. If you believe in Jesus and his spirit lives in you, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead has more power. He says, greater is the one that is in you than anything coming against you in the world and outside, external. There is something bigger and better happening on your behalf against your behalf. Do you believe that? There are unseen things, but we have to have an awareness that you are not alone. Everybody say, I'm not alone. And, and for most natural conflicts, there are also spiritual conflicts in another realm. For most natural things that you battle, there are spiritual battles, wrestles that are happening to keep you contained, to keep you not believing, could keep you like living your second best life or your third best life or your worst life, but not your best life. You, you catch what I'm saying? So this is spiritual. It's, it's, it's not just ethereal. It's real. It's, it's practical, and it helps you in your everyday life. Last week, we talked about three heavens the Bible describes. There's the earth's atmosphere, the heavens. Then, that's what, then there's uh, what Genesis calls the uh, firmament. I better say firmament, which is the expanse between heaven, heaven, and earth. Okay? And then there's the third heaven, which is the address of God. That is heavenly heaven, heaven. The third heaven is where John said he was taken when he was given the revelation. And the revelation, we call it the book of revelation in the Bible. But he just said it's the revelation. And he was taken up to the third heaven from earth where God showed him everything that was going to happen in the future. And he, and he saw some dynamics in the spirit realm that we just don't see with our eyes very often. The problem says, the Bible says, in the middle, in the middle, there's a prince. So there's the third heaven, and then there's the first heavens. In the second heaven, there's a prince. We notice that in Genesis, everything God created, God said it was good. He declared it good, except for the firmament, or the second heaven, the place in the middle. He created the firmament and said, it's just so. It's, it is what it is. It's the only part of creation he refused to bless with his word, Okay? Everything he created, it's good, it's good, it's good. It's not good that men be alone. And thank you, Jesus, right? All the men said yes. Thank God for women. But he was creating, creating, creating. And in that first section, it said he created the firmament, and it was just so. And he moved on. 
This is good. 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 Just so, and he moved on. Because I want to tell you, Satan is not in hell. It preaches good. It sounds good. I curse all the demons in hell, Satan and all his army, but it's not real. There, there are no demons in hell. I want to tell you that. The Bible says hell is reserved for Satan. In Matthew, it says that the demons who have fell have a, a, a reservation in hell. It's being kept for them, you know, on ice, right? No, it's just, it's being kept for them. The lake of fire is being kept for them like a table for two. Like, I got your reservation. It's coming for you. But right now, they are not there. They're not in hell. There's a second heaven the Bible calls Satan, the prince of the power, not of hell, but of the air. The Bible calls Satan the prince of the power of the air, not hell. Ephesians 2.2 says it like this. In which once you walked according the course of this world, here it is, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. That word air in the Greek is the same word they use in Hebrew that we see in Genesis 1 when it says firmament. So the air and the firmament, the second heaven, all this stuff is all confirmed in the word of God. So he's the prince of the power of the firmament. The place, the gap, the expanse between heaven, heaven, and earth. You catching it? Are you still with me? All right. The prince of the power of the air. I promise you this is going to relate to your life. The prince, prince, has to do with one who has the power to govern. If you're a prince of something, you have the power to govern, especially in a monarchy, right? The one who has the power to govern in the air. The one who now works in those who disobey, the sons of disobedience. Prince is the root word for the word principle, principle. A principle is simply a governing truth. So the enemy of your soul is the prince of the power of the air. Prince has the power to govern. And the root word for prince is principle or a governing concept. Are you catching me? So it's a concept that governs your life. Principle is the root word of principality, which we read in Ephesians, right? It says, for we not wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and spiritual wickedness. Not in hell, but in high or heavenly places. I, I, I just want us to catch it because so many of us have this mind of Satan being in hell and all the demons being in hell. But, but they're not. They're actually in, above us in a firmament, an invisible realm in the middle. You're catching it. Between us and heaven. And maybe you're thinking, man, this is, this is crazy. And I, 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 get, I get you. But it's all over the word of God, which I believe is inspired by God himself. And it's to help us in our everyday lives. It's not just to think and ascend and mentally um, do gymnastics and gyrations that make us more spiritual than others. That's not what this is for. This is literally just for our benefit and for our good here on earth. We don't want to be so spiritually minded. We're no good on earth. So I just want you to stay with me for a second, okay? Spiritual wickedness, it says, in heavenly places, in high places. So the prince is one who tries to rule over you. This is the important part. By principles. Govern over you with principles. He's the one who says, I'm going to take God's principles and I'm going to twist them. I'm going to try to govern you in dysfunctional principles in your everyday life. And there is a wrestle for the principles that you live by. The prince of the air wants to infiltrate earth as well. And he wants to make sure you don't get anything from heaven. That nothing from heaven comes on earth like it is in heaven. And he's trying to get you to be governed by principles that ruin your life. 
that you can destroy your own life with your own principled thinking. Because, why? Because a demon does not have authority over you. No spiritual force of wickedness has authority over you. A demon only has power to try to get you to agree with the way he thinks, with the way it thinks. And then oftentimes, we take care of the rest in our own lives. Because as a man thinks in his heart, so his life goes. So is he. In other words, <laughs> if he can get you to think it, you will take yourself there. And you will reaffirm God is not good. You will reaffirm the fact that this is not real. This does not happen. This does Because if he gets you thinking in a certain direction, he can govern your life with dysfunction. So the enemy has the power to throw thoughts at your head all day long. And the Bible says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. 2 Corinthians 10, 2, 5 says, Some think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. Like we're trying to fight and wrestle in the flesh. Like the lucha and the luchadores are fleshy things. For though we walk in the flesh, yes, we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. We do not war from our fleshly place. For the weapons of our warfare here on earth are not carnal or fleshy, but mighty through God to the pulling down of, there it is, strongholds. Everybody say strongholds. Today we're shattering strongholds in the spirit realm. Shattering strongholds that will release your life in real strongholds in real life. For the weapons of our warfare are not fleshy. They're not carnal. They're not natural. But they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Holds that are strong holding you back. I'm talking in your financial life. I'm talking in your sex life. I'm talking in your relational world. I'm talking at your workplace. I'm talking in your professional world. I'm talking with you in your children. Strongholds. Patterns of addiction. Patterns of dysfunction. Strongholds in your family bloodline. Are you catching what I'm saying? This is really practical. But you got to understand the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not like a wrestle on earth. But they're mighty through God to the pulling down of these strongholds. Casting down what now? No, verse 5. Casting down what? That's, that's, that's the key right there. Because this battle is not... Can you show me your imagination? Can you show me? <laughs> Please, tangibly, show me what you're imagining. You hear what I'm saying? Because this battle is not in the natural. It's almost in the supernatural. And our, we have a brain, but our mind is a different world. And as a man thinks in his heart, I mean, there's something different about imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of what's really going on. The knowledge of God being for you, not against you. The knowledge of God saying there are two-thirds fighting for you, not against you. The knowledge of there are more for you than there are. Come on. The knowledge of the reality of the spiritual intersecting and heaven coming to earth and your life shifting on real planet earth. There's a battle. And then it says this. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience. Now, isn't that interesting? Prince of the power of the air that works disobedience. Sons of disobedience. And now, in bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. It's interesting to me that in Ephesians 2, it talks about the sons of disobedience being under the influence of the prince of the power of the air. And now in 2 Corinthians, it's talking about taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Who are you going to serve? What are you going to listen to? Louder. What you think is real? 
or what God says is real? What his word says is real or what you see at your workplace? Are you catching what I'm saying? Is there, there's an obedience struggle and a reality struggle for a principled obedience. It's not like, oh, I got to obey God. No, no, no. I get to obey God. And when I surrender to his principles, my life opens up. When I don't surrender to his principles, I surrender to other principles and my life closes in on itself. And I become less of who I am and I become more stifled and more crippled and more cave-like and these things reaffirm the brokenness in my thinking. Are you catching? All in the context of spiritual warfare, he talks about sons of disobedience. And now in 2 Corinthians, he's talking about obedience in Christ. Spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. That's what Luch, Luch is really about. Where the strongholds or a pattern of thinking dictates your life. I hope you're catching where the spiritual war takes place. Because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle right up here. I would say right between my ears. With imaginations. With every thought that exalts itself against the truth of God's word. And how do we win the wrestle within? Because a lot of this takes place right here within us. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. That's right. We wrestle pulling down strongholds, pulling down concepts. Any knowledge that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. My warfare is in my head. And I do spiritual warfare in my mind, my imagination. Because the enemy is throwing thoughts in my head that contradict the word of God. And these thoughts seem to come out of nowhere. They come like out of the principality, prince governing of the air. It's like out of thin air. I just have a thought. Now maybe you're not like me, but I often question, what am I doing with my life? And what, am I, what is going on? Is this real or is this, this not real? Because I don't want to deceive a whole bunch of people and take them down some crazy thought. And you might think, wow, that's crazy. You're a pastor. How could you say that? I'm like, no, 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 no. There's thoughts that fly. Is this a bunch of, I, I crave reality. I, I crave something here on earth <laughs> that's real. How about you? I don't just take it because I'm a moron. I, I, I listen to it. I receive it. And I work those principles. And all of a sudden, the word of God actually benefits my life better than believing every thought that flies into my head. You start living by every thought that flies in your head, you'll probably be like a, a murderer. Maybe sometimes I'm going to kill you. You know, you're driving. You're going to kill somebody. Okay. A rapist. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, she's cute, but she's not that cute. Stop it. You know, whatever thought comes in here, everybody hates me. You'll start thinking suicidal thoughts. Uh, nobody loves me. I'm going to go eat worms. Suicidal thoughts. Are you catching me? There's a war. Oh, that never happens to me. I don't never, I never disbelieve anything in the Bible. Okay, <laughs> this church might not be for you. Okay, I'm sure. I, I was saying, well, you're better than us, and I know you. Uh, you're just an amazing person. I'd like to meet you afterwards, actually. You never, ever, ever, ever have crazy air thoughts from another governing force. The enemy is trying to th throw thoughts in my head that contradict the word of God. And say, the same tactic he used in the garden with Eve. I told you he's not that good. You talk to him, he's trying to withhold from you. This can't be all that there, there can't, there's got to be some, what's the real, why does he really so love the world? You know what I'm saying? I'm going to, I'm going to uh, break this down for you. Okay, so I want it to really hit home. So you're having a pity party and you say, nobody loves me, right? Well, if you believe that, then now the enemy has a, a stronghold. And he thought it was really spiritual, but actually it's a really spiritual stronghold in your life. When you say the words, nobody loves me. Because you have just believed a lie. 
you have believed a really big lie. A stronghold is not a demon. A stronghold is not something weird. A stronghold is when you have believed a lie to be the truth. God's really not that good. Nobody does love me. Well, that exalts itself against the knowledge of the word of God. Because my Bible says in John 3, 16, God so loved people. He so loved the world and all the systems in the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal, everlasting life to the fullest here on earth and throughout eternity. He said, man, how can you say you're not loved? Well, I don't, believe, I don't believe God. God, t- God tells us thousands of ways over and over that we are not just loved. We are so loved. Nobody loves me. That's a lie, and it's a stronghold that's ruining your destiny. I, I like to choose a different thought pattern. Everybody loves me. Everybody wants to hear what I have to say. I want to make a difference in this world. That's from heaven. That's God pushing me into my destiny. You live like that, your life will explode. You live like nobody loves you, you be a victim. You keep believing that lie, and you start living out of that lie, and now that thought becomes a reality that is actually a demonic stronghold, and you have no idea that you're being governed by a principality of an air that is contradicting your destiny. It's very practical. Well, we're never going to get out of this debt. I don't know if you know this, Pastor, but we have serious debt. I'm talking tens and twenties and thirties of thousands of dollars in debt. Well, God is your provider. We're never going to get out of this debt. No, no, no. God is your provider. He's the one who gives you the power to get wealth. The Bible said the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and adds no sorrow to it. There is something to be said about a higher principle, a more realistic principle than the reality of you trying to rub nickels together. You have just believed a lie when you say, we are never getting out of debt. It is hopeless. We should give up now. We might as well just keep spending because this is our reality. That's a lie. You've just believed something that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. He says, I make you rich, and I give no sorrow. you got to cast down that high argument that seems so real, but it's so fake. It's not real. Cast down that assault. Cast down that argument. Cast down that thought stronghold. Why? Because it's contradicting what God's word says. He's saying, I'm blessing you so you can be a blessing to others. You're going to have so much that you don't need it all for yourself. You can actually bless other people. That is his destiny for you, to prosper you in everything you touch. Can can I just preach something to you? Because I think this is the strongest one that the enemy comes at us with ever since we were little girls, ever since we were little men. The first thing that God gave Adam was not a garden. It was not a wife. The first thing God gave Adam was his image. His identity, his reality. He said, you look just like me. You are a reflection of me. You are me in the natural and what I am in the spiritual. And you got to protect the image of God that God puts on your life and God puts in your mind. And any lie that he comes, the enemy comes at you with that distorts that image. It says, you're not that beautiful. You're not that talented. You're not that whatever. you got to say, that is a lie. you got to pull it down. Are you kidding me? I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That my heart knows so well. You, you like my nose? He gave me this nose. It wasn't just mommy and daddy giving me stuff. I'm telling you, you like the gift in me? God gave that gift to me. I'm saying, you, you think it's normal and natural. You can't throw away what God says is great as nothing, as garbage. He says, I put greatness in you. 
You were born for better. You are living for a larger legacy than just yourself. Come on, you got to believe in the image that I put in you. It's the image of God. It's the legacy of God here on the earth. Reflect me. Reflect me. Do not settle for second best because God says you are my child. You've been made in my image. Do you have any idea the capacity and the wherewithal of what I've put inside of you from the get-go? You have what I say you have. You can do what I say you can do. And my Bible says in Philippians, you can do all things through me who strengthens you. And you become what you say I become. What I say you become. You can become all things. Your identity and belonging is secure in Christ. And this is the root thing that the enemy tries to distort. You don't really look like him. If, he, if, if he's so beautiful, why are you so ugly? You know, and it starts when we're little kids. You're dumb. You laugh too loud. You're silly. Control yourself. Hold back. Don't be who you really are. You get made fun. That hurts when, when somebody does that to you. And all this distortion starts to attack your image, and you're still carrying the insecurity of your image, which is perfect. I mean, it's God in flesh. It's, it's his reflection on the earth, and it's beautiful. Embrace you know, if you don't like you, it's hard. Not only does it affect my life if you don't like you, but it affects the legacy that you represent as God's children. I want to make my father look good because he made me look so good. I'm not just talking about naturally, right? That's cute, cute pastor, right? No, no, I'm saying, like, he, he, he did really good. That's what David said. When you made me, you broke the mold, and you made me fearfully and wonderfully, and I know it. I know who I am. I know it full well. That I am not just me, I am the image of my creator. And when he did me, he did a good job. When he made me, he made a good job. When he created me internally, extrinsically, he's good at what he does. Stop slapping him in the face every time you don't like yourself. You're saying, God, you're not that good. You are the reflection of God in the earth. You get that. He says, you become what I say you become, and your identity is secure in me. Come on, if you believe it, shout yes this morning. Come on. He's... He says this, if you feel like you're worthless, he says, that's perfect. I, I take the things that are not as, this, as if they seem that they're not, and I call them as though they were, and they become what I say they were to start with. Never doubt what God said. Never doubt what God said. Because what we're fighting for, the wrestle is over what God says. Over every vain imagination, every other stronghold, every other precept that does not align with God's word never doubt what God said never doubt who he created you to be don't let lies from another principality control your life you'll destroy your own destiny and the demonic will have very little to do with it just because you believe the lie what you believe you become you believe a lie you live in a lie and it reinforces itself negatively the same way, if you believe what he says, you'll be like <laughs> reinforcing yourself positively. And you're not faking it. It's real. The life that I have is not like a, a show for you on Sundays. It's, it's the reality. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Freedom from within. Now, if I'm the enemy, <laughs> if the enemy is up there ruling as a prince of the air, right? How do I dethrone him in my life? How do I make sure he has no place? The Bible says give the enemy no place. Give him no foothold, no stronghold, no place to hold you back. Because 
cause him to lose his foothold in life. That's what I want to see him do. I want your life to be set free. I want my life to be set free. I want to see every foothold taken back. That we would infiltrate the spiritual realm and say, my goodness, you have no place. How do I tear down strongholds give the enemy no place in my destiny and other people's destiny? How, how would you like this? Anybody want to hear about this? We're going we're gonna to wrap it up here. Luke chapter 10. This is where we're going to land, okay? Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also, and he sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. I think that's interesting. He sent them where he was going to go. They wanted Jesus to come, but he sent them. They wanted Jesus to show up, and he sent you. What if somebody's praying for God to show up, and you show up? It should be the same result. It's about to be the same result for these 70 people. See, you thought God was coming. You thought Jesus was coming, but I'm coming. And I represent him. I'm an ambassador. When, when I come, he comes. When I show up, the whole kingdom shows up with me. Freedom and fullness of life for every single person that you come into contact with is your destiny. See, we're not just trying to set you free as a captive. We're trying to set the captives free. He said, I came to set the captives free, to loose the, the captive, the bondage of the enemy. Come on, he calls us ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven. Do you understand? When, when an ambassador shows up, the whole country he or she represents shows up on the scene. With one person's word, one person's body, if you attack an ambassador, you just attacked an entire country. When you get the word of an ambassador, you get the word of an entire kingdom behind him. You get that word, you get the word that they represent. So they were expecting Jesus and they got you. Woo, that's good news. Does anybody believe in what God has done in your life? Anybody believe what God has put inside of you? Does anybody believe in the imagery that you carry? He said like this, oh, Jesus, everyone's like, Jesus, you're the light of the world. And he's like, don't you know? You're the light of the world. He said, stop, stop telling me I'm the light of the world. You are the light of the world. You are a city set on a hill. You represent my kingdom. You show up and light shows up. Anybody receive that? And to their imagery, this is who I am. I've been created to be this. Come on, church. They're expecting Jesus to show up, and he's sending you two by two. And that's so beautiful, right? Everybody say, partner up. Then he said to them, the harvest, and I think it's so funny, and it's so sad that Jesus has to say this out loud, but I get it because I feel like I have to say this out loud, and I feel like everybody who says this in faith, they have to say it out loud over and over. Let's just hear the words of your Savior, God himself, speaking to flesh and humanity. He says this, the harvest truly, like I'm telling you the truth, like this is for real. I'm sorry this is so hard for you to see it in the natural, but the harvest for real. If you just look for one second, truly the harvest is great. And it's right here all around us. But the laborers are few. This is what he says to them. You guys ready for two by two talk? 70 people going out in pairs of two by two. I don't know how pairs of people. And he says, this is, this is the reality you're about to walk into. I want this to be the principled thinking that you enter into your world with. The harvest is great. For real it is. Truly, I tell you. For sure. No BS. No cap. This is real. Come on. Truly, it's great. But the laborers are few. He said, I can't find anybody who cares. He said, the problem isn't that lost people don't want God. The problem isn't that lost people don't have, need a Savior. He said, it's that I got believers who are more consumed with themselves than they are doing the laboring 
of investing in many people's lives. Because there's many harvest out. There's so many people who need Jesus. There's so many people who want what we have. It's not the problem with the product. It's the problem with the sales department. And the testimonials from how great this Jesus pillow really is. The great, that's what he said, the great harvest of people. Well, I think we should have a smaller church. These bigger churches need to split up. It needs to be small communities. He said, it's a great harvest. A huge harvest. He said, people are dying for the answer in the droves. They're dying for answers. But the people with the answer won't tell anybody what the answer is. Leaders, I would like to say this. Leaders of hope, people are dying and need real help. And disciples are being kept fake happy. Has it ever sucked to encounter a Christian and you're like, man, I need real help. Somebody really help me with a real problem in my real life, please. And you encounter fake happy Fake appeasement. I just want to keep you happy. I can't tell you the truth. I don't want to really get into it with you because I need to keep you fake happy. And you're like, I need real help. Fake happy. Please don't let that be said about Hope Church. That we just keep fake happy happening. We go for real help for real people who have a real God who really comes in real times of need. And he gives you solutions to the problems in your real life. Can I don't serve Jesus because he helps me with my eternal problems. I serve him because he helps me with my earthly problems. And his kingdom's here on earth. So he said, don't pray for a harvest. Don't, don't pray for a harvest. The harvest is always ready. The harvest is always ripe. Well, I feel like this is just really a great season of salvation, Pastor Nate, and the openness of the gospel is just everywhere because of these days. We're, we're in the end days. This is going to be a great season of revival and salvation. Yeah, welcome to the team. Jesus said that like 2,000 years ago. Stop, 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 stop spiritualizing people responding to the gospel. It's, been, it's, it's ready to happen all the time. It's been the case for centuries. I'm glad we finally have your stamp of approval, but I believe Jesus a lot more than your opinion and what you think is ready now, okay? Because he said it's ready 2,000 years ago, and it's freaking everywhere. People are just right for Jesus. Wake up, Jack. I want you to tell, uh, people want Jesus. They don't want religion. They want reality with Jesus. And the harvest has been ready and is ready and will be ready. But the laborers are the few. The problem. The problem is the labor. Are you catching this? Not at my workplace. People want Jesus at my workplace. Have you ever worked in a prison before, Pastor? No, I haven't. But they need Jesus. You ever worked in my cubicle around these women? I'll tell you, they don't want anything to do with Jesus. You'd be appalled by the language they use. Why would I be appalled by their language? Why would I be intimidated by their language? You'd be blown away by the gossip and the spite and the frustration and all the bitterness that they carry. They are just right for Jesus. Are you kidding me? You don't know. People are going through real problems out there. Yes, I know a problem solver. I know that. That's perfect. But they got foul mouths. I know he loves people with foul mouths. But they got bad attitudes. He loves people with bad attitudes. Not at work, my, not my family. My family's so dysfunctional. They don't want Jesus. They hate Jesus in my neighborhood. Are you sure? Or they just hate you? <laughs> There's a, there might be a difference. They might not like what you sell or the way you sell or what you say. I'm not saying you just keep exalting the lies above what Jesus says and what Jesus sees. 
He says the harvest is great. The harvest is plenty. And watch the demonic stronghold hold you back from ever bearing fruit with your life. When you believe lies about people not being ready for Jesus, it holds you back. And it's a stronghold that blocks you from being who God created you to be, to share what God has done in your life. Doesn't that sound demonic? Let's just keep everybody pushed back from what they're really here to share and talk about. Let's keep all the testimony suppressed, all the reality of what God's done in your marriage suppressed, because you might not be perfect, and you're still happily married. Or your marriage is good, but it's not great. Let's, let's just hold back the testimony. Let's not say it too big or say it too loud, because I don't know if I'll be married in 25 years. Are you kidding me? Are you, are you kidding me? And what the enemy is doing, he's saying, I got a stronghold. You're afraid to tell people how good I am because you think you might screw up in your future. That's a demonic stronghold. You're, you're afraid to tell people that are negative about Jesus because you think they're not interested. <laughs> I'm telling you, that's a demonic stronghold in your natural life. Well, I don't know if I believe this. Well, I, I would like to say, are you glorifying your Father in heaven? Are you bearing any fruit? I know the church you go to. I know what you love. But are you, the church, sharing what Jesus has done in your life? This is not a guilt trip. This is a reality. Is there a stronghold to keep you from the share? Are you blocked and locked up in your head knowing what Jesus said was wrong? The harvest, you're wrong. The price is wrong, Jesus. <laughs> right? The harvest is not ready. The harvest is not ripe. Okay, Jesus is a liar. He's been lying for 2,020 years. Are you ever taking ownership of your great commission to go into all the world with the best news on the planet? If the answer is no, you've probably got a stronghold in you, sweetheart. Some prince of the air says, you know, that reality isn't that good. It's not that great. I'm telling you, the harvest is ripe, people of hope. The harvest is plentiful. The harvest is everywhere. People are just right for Jesus, and Jesus is exactly what they're looking for. In John 4, 35, in John 4, 35, Jesus was, again, trying to get this across to his disciples, and he said, do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes. Stop looking at the natural. Lift up your spiritual eye. Lift up your inner man. Lift up your perspective, your paradigm, your principled looking. And look at the fields. It's like, what fields? We're standing by a well. Yeah, look at the fields. Like, what fields? We're in the middle of Samaria, the worst place in the world. Look at the fields! For they are already white with harvest. And as he says something spiritual, something natural starts to happen. And in this terrible city of Samaria, where Jesus just was talking to someone, all these people start coming in droves. Like, oh, the city's the field. And like, oh my gosh, the people are the harvest. And these worst people on the planet are the best people. <laughs> The worst coworker in your cul-de-sac or in your cubicle is the best person. I mean, they're just right for Jesus. The harvest is ready. And he's trying to get, look up. Get your eyes off yourself. Get your eyes off broken principled thinking. Get your eyes off your life. Get your eyes off if you screw up in your future. And look up. See the harvest that's right in front of you. Dying, desperate, broken, hurting people. And the guys looked at him like, we didn't do anything. There's no harvest coming. We didn't sow anything. We have no investment here. We hate Samarian, Samaritans. We hate Samaria. 
And in verse 38, he said, I want you to catch this and believe the words of Jesus over the words of what you think. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Story of my life. That's why I say it's easy to follow Jesus. It's easy to win people to Jesus. If you taste and see the reality of who he is, he's the easiest person to love. It's hard to reject love himself. It's easy to do what I do. I just get up here and tell you how good God is. Is it not a hard life? Isn't that a hard reality? Isn't that hard to pick up your cross? He's saying, stop living for yourself. It gets easier. It's not hard to follow Jesus. I know you hate that, but I'm telling you, it's so easy. Because others have done the hard work. <laughs> and let's read it. And you have reaped. Let's read it. And you have reaped. Let's put it up. And you have reaped the benefits, next, next one, of their labors. Others have labored and you have entered into their hard work. He's saying it's always harvest time in the kingdom, baby. We are always sowing seed and reaping other people's investment. It's a supernatural momentum and an increase that is never supposed to stop. He says, and the increase of my government, of my principled living, there will be no end. It's always harvest time. Don't tell me why people don't want the best thing that's ever happened to you. That's a lie. It's a demonic stronghold. It's time to let it go here at Hope Church. Are you ready to let it go? Come on. We always see people entering the kingdom, saying yes to Jesus, being born again. He said that's never the problem. We saw countless people this Halloween say yes to Jesus. I want you to catch this. In the first century, all kinds of people, religious people and unreligious people, Jew and Gentile, were actually attracted to Jesus. They found Jesus attractive. So consequently, if we get it right today in 2021, they should find Christianity attractive today effective in their lives today people who are nothing like jesus they actually like the guy they like jesus and jesus liked people who were nothing like him as a matter of fact you look across this room most of the people are nothing like you the unifying factor is that jesus likes you the reason we're here is because we like jesus if it would not have been for jesus i would probably not even know you and everything Jesus was conveying to his disciples here at this well was being discussed on the edge of a town by a well where he had just worked with a woman. And in this moment, the whole city of Samaria is swarming towards Jesus. Why? Because while his disciples were hungry for something else, because while his disciples were obsessing over their own problems and their own bellies and their own obstacles, while his disciples we're serving Jesus by going to get him something so important that we're eating too. Oh, you need lunch? Let me go get you lunch. And you're eating lunch on your way back. While his disciples of Jesus are obsessing over themselves, concerned about their pastor feeding them on Sundays. Well, I stopped going to Hope Church because my pastor didn't feed me. While his disciples were obsessing over their own bellies, Jesus was talk, taking that same time to have one conversation with a woman at a well. And that translates a nobody in the middle of nowhere. He said, my bread. He said, my appetites. My hunger is to do the will of my Father in heaven. 
They come back and say, I got you a lunch. We ate our subs on the way back, but here's your sub. He's like, I, I've already eaten. and I got food you don't even know about. And my, my bread is to do the will of my Father. My hunger is to reach lost people. I'm hungry for a massive harvest. I'm hungry to see this whole city turned around. Corny, Elmira, I'm hungry. I want to see other people's lives change too. And as he's saying it, this mass harvest of people were headed towards him and his disciples. Because he cared about one human life that everyone else had ignored, deemed insignificant, and too far gone for Jesus. This one human life is a Samaritan woman. who is the, the Samaritans are like the most hated group of Jews in the nation. They were the worst, worst, worst of the worst. A Samaritan woman, and, and, and back in their economic status, their status of the day, women were, were really, really low on the totem pole. So it's, it's like a Samaritan, ugh, and a woman? You're spending time with women one-on-one? -on -one? Who had five ex-husbands and a new boyfriend she just moved in with that she's not married to yet. And they're like, that woman would never be interested in Jesus. And Jesus is like, are you, are you sure? I work with her. She's got five husbands. Well, she's on her sixth man. She would never be interested. Are you, are you sure? Maybe she's met you. Has she met who lives inside of you? She wants nothing to do with Jesus, said everyone stuck in stronghold thinking. She wants nothing to do with the kingdom of heaven, said everybody stuck in their heads. But Jesus knew, and he believed a different principle, paradigm, thinking. He was exactly who she was looking for. He was her seventh man. In effect, you've been looking, looking, looking for love in all the wrong places, sweetheart. But I've finally found what you're looking for. I finally can give you what you've been searching for. I am the wellspring of life. And if you drink of me, you will never thirst again. If you feed on me, you will never hunger again. I can satisfy your brokenness. I can satisfy your desolateness. I can satisfy your hurting places. I am your seventh man. Seven speaks to completion. He said, I can complete you. You complete me. It's not real for humans to complete each other, but Jesus. Jesus completes you. Jesus can satisfy your deepest desires. Jesus can give you what you're looking for that you can't find anywhere else in all your best attempts to get it right with this man and get it right with this man. Come on, five men, six living boyfriend. She's not interested in Jesus. Are you sure? She wants not said everybody, but Jesus knew and believed because he did not have this demonic stronghold right here through his lens. He was exactly who she was looking for. And this 20-minute investment resulted in a huge harvest for Jesus and his disciples who did none of the work and were obsessed with themselves my hunger is to reach lost people he said I'm hungry for a massive and harvest go ahead guys guess what kind of people he reached Samaritan people the people you say aren't interested in Jesus the most hated good-for-nothing people in their culture were just right for Jesus are we catching this as a matter of fact, Jesus reached the upper echelon and the lowest of lowest. He reached Pharisees who hated him. He reached a Pharisee right before he died, and a Pharisee actually saved Chris uh, Easter. He helped him out with the, the, the tomb and all this stuff. It was like really, really big deal, Pharisees. 
He, he saved tax collectors who were really hated. I mean, officials in governments. He, he saved Roman soldiers, people who were outside this whole Jewish thing. Syrophoenician woman came to him. She's, he's like, uh, even the dogs get crumbs from the master's table. Syrophoenician women are the worst people in the world. They, they are the enemies of God's people, the Syrophoenicians. Throughout all of history, she was the nasty side that were always persecuting the Jews. And she gets something from Jesus. And her life changes. And her daughter is set free. He, he goes to all the right people and all the wrong people. Yeah, he actually wills that all people be saved. No matter what your paradigm is. He wills that all people be saved. He believes and knows in his spirit that everyone was created to relate to him. Do you believe and know that everyone you encounter is created and relatable to God himself? Give no place to the enemy. The earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, and all they that dwell therein. They belong to him. So in Luke 10, 70 people are sent out in pairs of two going everywhere. Jesus would go. Jesus didn't show up. These people showed up. Jesus didn't show up. People of hope showed up. And in verse 2, he said to them, the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. So don't pray for some hard-to-define harvest. Instead, therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest. Send out laborers. I need some, some, some people who give a, give a hoot. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. I feel like everybody's just out to bite me. Okay, <laughs> yeah, Jesus sent you there for a reason. Carry neither money bag, knapsack, sandals, and greet nobody on the way to your mission. But whatever house you enter, this is what you say. Peace. Peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. And if not, it will return to you. That's an interesting statement. Verse 7. And remain in the same house, eating, drinking, such they give, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. In other words, stay planted. Invest yourself in one place. Plant yourself. Wherever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. And heal the sick. So he says, speak peace, heal the sick, and say to them, the kingdom, there it is, of heaven. The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter, and they do not receive you, go out in the streets and say, the very dust of your city which clings to us, we wipe off against you. Shake the dust and move forward. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. So they go off with their assignment and then come back in verse 17. And this is where it gets really good. The 70 returned with joy from doing something in the natural. Now look at this. They did something in the natural. And they come back and they start shouting and screaming, Lord, even the demons... Fallen angels are subject to us in your name. Even demons, something supernatural is happening. Something spiritual is happening. Something bigger than us. Something that we can't see is breaking off. They're subject to us in your name. That awesome name of Jesus. I'm here to tell you, demons are subject to you in Jesus' name. Demons are subject to you in Jesus. You are not subject to them. They are subject to you. Those thoughts can't control you. You control your own thoughts. Now look at this. This is powerful. They came back after doing everything Jesus had told them to do. And look what he said. I saw Satan. That's the big kahuna. Which everybody will look at someday and say, this is the guy? That's the big kahuna? He's a tiny kahuna. The tiniest kahuna I've ever seen. I'm not sure how you translate kahuna, but for me it's very innocent. Okay. He said... 
I saw Satan fall like lightning from where now? The firmament. Second heaven. A lot of people think he's referring back to uh, when Satan was removed from heaven, but that's like jumping subjects in the middle of a class. It's like jumping subjects in the middle of a lesson. It's a lot less contextual than him saying that while you 70 were out doing this stuff in the natural, he said, I saw what you couldn't see in the supernatural. And everywhere you went, I saw Satan falling and falling and falling. And every home you went into, he was losing, losing control, losing mindsets, losing hold, losing territory, backing up. He's on his heels. Everywhere you went, I saw the enemy hemorrhaging. I saw him in trouble. I saw demons running. Every place you went to speak to, every place you put your feet, every home you brought healing, I saw him fall, fall, fall. He's just falling, losing footholds. When do you fall? When you lose a stronghold. When do you fall? When a shattered stronghold takes place. Come on, I saw him losing footholds. No place to the enemy. I saw him fall like lightning. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. He's talking about demonic powers and principalities. I just gave you all the moves to wrestle right, to kick some keister all over the power of the enemy. And all over the power of the enemy. And all over, and nothing, people of hope, nothing shall by any means hurt you. Ooh, I know this isn't a cute little message today, but somebody needs to throw up your hands and remind the enemy, nothing by any means will harm, nothing shall by any means enter into my home. Nothing shall enter into my workplace. Nothing shall hold those people captive. For some of you, the devil has forgotten his place, but my Bible says nothing shall hold you back. Nothing shall have its way with you. Nothing over your children. Nothing in your house. Nothing in your body. Nothing in your checkbook. Nothing in your marriage, nothing in my past, nothing shall by any means harm you. Come on, we're going to shake every stronghold in Jesus' name. I declare over your life and your family that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. The enemy might be coming at you one way, but he's about to flee in seven different directions. I say let God arise and his enemies be scattered. Let God arise and the enemy be shattered in Jesus' name. Come on, give him a shout of praise if you believe it. Oh, we speak peace. We speak healing. And we loose every stronghold of the enemy.